0: Like, the actual game starts, and then you start collecting, like, bullshit scraps for your light machine gun. It's like, oh, it's just a Far Cry game. but
1: <laughs> Yeah, you can't fuck up the main part of it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah.
0: The one before that, though, you were a sheriff's deputy in Montana uh, fighting this doomsday cult. And that one was amazing. The writing was superb. <laughs> huh.
1: I, I'd i be amazed if Montana had the population to support half a Doomsday cult. <laughs> yeah. Dri- drive around man, Montana and you think Doomsday has already happened. I, I'm, t- I'm being glib. But anyway. Well, anyway. Uh, welcome to Oops All Monsters, the deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me... When he's not using his colossal tentacles to disable German U-boats, is Gavin? <laughs>
0: okay. And this weirdo with me, who has learned to walk again after a helicopter crash and is now retaking Russian submarines, is Hess. Retaking? Is that is that some like uh, You're Jack oh, Ryan? Is
1: that an '80s movie? Yeah, okay. Well, that does count as an 80s movie, because Jack Ryan has been like nine movies now, I think.
0: I think so, yeah. Um, so, I've
1: been at least four or five movies. Hunt for Roderick. Can Roder- you believe that Anthony, Anthony Hall, can you believe that um, I, I had his name and then I fucking lost it? Um, you know, what's his butt from The Shadow? Uh, oh, I, Alec Baldwin. I used to be handsome. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. So... Uh, So charismatic that he played Jack Ryan. Yeah. There's also like the Whiplash thing where sometimes they portray Jack Ryan as like a pencil pushing CIA twerp. Yeah. And sometimes they portray him as like basically a paratrooper. Yeah. (laughs) And um, and it's that's confusing. I don't think I've ever actually read one of those. I think I've only seen um, movies and other media about. Well, Jack Ryan. I think he's
0: supposed to be both. Like he's he's been he's been trained at, kind of a 007 yeah, problem. Yeah. He's been trained at a lot of schools because he's smart enough to go through like training schools instead of go into combat. And like um yeah. the first time that he went into he's, combat, he's like an advisor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all
1: know how that goes yeah. <laughs> with Americans <laughs> advising people in uh, military situations, but um, Just an analyst. we are here to, as we, yeah, analyst, that's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Um, I'm the analyst, but we are here to, as we always are, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming from the console and the tabletop and beyond. On a rotating basis, each of us brings a monster into the shop unknown to the other presenter at the time and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you dear readers at home quick reminder hit up the Instagram at oops all monsters which is exactly what you think it would be or uh, if you've got suggestions for monsters oops all monsters at gmail.com um, Gavin because this topic is one of mine do you have some vocabulary that um, we might divert ourselves in before we get into the topic
0: Yes, I do. I have a weird one that I've been wanting to do for a while. It is concordant.
1: Okay. Is that kind of the opposite of discordant?
0: I I, I think so. It's in agreement and consistent. It's (laughs) corresponding in direction with the planes of adjacent or underlying strata, or the inheriting the Uh same genetic characteristics such as susceptibility to a disease
1: okay yeah so it's kind of as expected for this thing <laughs> yeah. okay concordant. concordant i'd those uh, yeah those grapes make delicious juice um <laughs> okay great well now that we are out of vocabulary let's get to my motherfucking topic <laughs> Imagine, Ooh. if you will, yes. You are a hag, <laughs> an ancient, feral witch of untold age and misery. It has been so many years since you were a mortal woman. You can barely remember when you last donned the wretched rags and shimmering <laughs> junk of humanity. <laughs> These days, you are something much more than a woman. You are a mighty, monstrous, water breathing wretch, lurking under the surface of the swamp that you call home for days or even weeks at a time, only extending to your full ten foot height when a truly juicy morsel passes by. Yes. Speaking of juicy morsels, Gavin, do you have a. Are you trying to buzz in? No! I... Okay.
0: I'm a hag. Okay, okay, okay.
1: That's okay. Speaking of... This is going to be a specific hag witch-like underwater dwelling character. Okay. Speaking of juicy morsels, what is that you spy with your weird buggy eye? A short but tasty-looking young man, marching awkwardly through the bog festooned with shiny weapons... He smells as if he has made friends recently with some lively elves, and he would make a lovely meal for ripe old Meg, won't he? Oh, indeed he will. Do you know who I'm talking about? No.
0: Um, Jeez. All I can get in my head is the witch from Army of Darkness.
1: No, there's kind of, yeah, I kind of get that. Now, I am introducing Meg Mucklebuns, who is the witch slash hag in 1985's Legend starring oh. Thomas Cruise.
0: I assume oh, Thomas man, Cruise. I wouldn't have got that because I haven't seen Legend in 12 years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I forgot there was well, a witch in you it. Know,
1: yeah, well, they call her, so this is a thing. They call her a swamp witch. So I guess we're going to get to one of these main things first. Yeah. I disagree that she's a swamp witch. Wh- however, the hag it generally is understood to be actually a subcategory of witch. Yeah. Or like if you witch long enough, you get to become a hag.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> and... and um, but uh the film legend that we're talking about today is is the piece of media um, feature film from 1985 directed by Ridley Scott oh yeah um it, yep it sure is uh, is um, <laughs> is uh, it plays actual i mean it plays only it play, i'll say it plays a lot tighter with some of these fantastical categories of elves and fairies than Definitely a lot of the media that we have referenced on the show. Yeah. Um, so calling her a swamp, which is, you know, it's, it's actually pretty damn close to saying hag. Yeah. Um, but what she is, if you're getting out to a, to a, um, teleological, put it on a grid sense, um, you know i guess the biggest bugaboo in looking at what her deal is is she's not magic she's basically just like um she's basically just a a, a beast that used to be a regular person who is she's turned into a, a carnivorous monstrosity but she doesn't cast any spells or do really anything supernatural in in the film
0: Yeah,
1: Um, you could just say that she's just kind of transformed by um, evilness or wickedry but she's only in the movie for about two minutes in the scene versus Jack, um, the main character
2: Check. They call me Jack, ma'am. Oh! <laughs> what a fine, fat boy you are, Jack. You don't really mean to eat me, do you, ma'am? Oh, indeed I do. <laughs>
0: of the uh, the handsome young yeah
1: ranger and warrior played by uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs>
0: I am laughing at I just read the actor who portrayed Meg Mucklebones. <laughs> Can you believe it? So <laughs> who
1: plays Meg Mucklebones? And don't worry, I did check on it. It's it is true. It's, it is not m- some kind of internet lie.
0: Robert Picardo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and who would who would the the listeners at home have any clue as to who Robert Picardo is?
0: Robert Picardo is in that commercial. <laughs> that commercial yeah. he's, he's, he's been uh, in about uh, all, Which commercial every, uh, commercial um he's also been in Star Trek yeah. uh he's he was yeah the, uh, the, tri- the hologram the tri- heads would
1: know it the know him yeah, yeah. The, know him as the EMH the emergency holographic uh, or emergency medical hologram yeah
2: please state the nature of the medical emergency 20 Borg about to break through that door we need time to get out of here create a diversion this isn't part of my program I'm a doctor, not a doorstop.
1: Um, In in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, he he had – we referred to him previously on the show when we went on a rant about inner space because he plays a (laughs) hilarious character who also is imitated by um, Martin Short and gets to do this wacky (laughs) (laughs) scene where he like transforms back into Robert Picardo. Yeah. Um, but which is also indicative of at, there is a certain period of time where you used Robert Picardo because he was able to do, he was a little bit of a Doug Jones of the eighties. Doug Jones being the incredibly famous creature actor, um, it's portrayed the the water monster dude that's named like Ted or something in um in I in whatever that movie is I fucked a fish or whatever and you know, um yeah. and, and he's also in Hellboy and yeah. he's portrayed like if it wasn't Andy Serkis it was Doug Jones yeah well before either of them Robert Picardo actually did kind of a miniature version of that because he probably got this movie um this uh, 1985 fantasy epic because he had been in Howling. The Howling, the um, famous um, kind of creature feature horror film that that included a very elaborate horror werewolf transformation. That was achieved by Rob Boteen. Um, They all say botine. I've been saying Rob Botton my whole life. Yeah. Apparently, it's botine, like he's um, oh, Canadian.
0: Oh shit, Rob Botton. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, well, all, all of the industry people say botine and they've actually talked to him. So I'm going to assume that they know better than I do. Yeah. And um, huh. and so because he had previously been in The Howling and had worn the most elaborate. Transformation makeup. Yeah. Um. That he, that he basically pr- almost certainly got the job, um, because of that, because he had success doing the work of the Howling, basically being able to physically handle the demands of um dramaturgy while wearing about forty pounds of Rob boutine prosthetics. Yeah. And all of the torture that that entails, um, without throwing a telephone at anybody, probably, <laughs> yeah. um, got him, uh, got him into the room. He tells the story of doing a um the uh, audition. In a like a secret room in the Beverly Hills Hotel with uh, with Ridley Scott and um, they, he goes in and and uh, he does his kind of like baroque high pitched Brothers Grimm hag m- manic voice and Picardo quotes uh, B- Ridley Scott as having said, "Well, you barely need the makeup, do you?" Um, which he <laughs> kind of saw yeah. as like a like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Um, so what uh, what. Uh, for the listeners who are going to have a closer knowledge base to you, having not seen it in ho- however however many years, what is the movie legend from nineteen eighty five slash nineteen eighty six for our European and UK listeners? The movie um,
0: legend uh, takes a a weird view at uh, the hero's journey, um, and and kind of also the captive princess's journey because she has to go through a bunch of stuff while he's looking for her too, Um, overcoming not just the villain's taunts and um, and, uh, torture, like various psychological tortures, but also her own fears and instabilities. But Meanwhile, uh, Tom Cruise in his underwear and full plate torso jumps through uh, forests and swamps and uh, different kinds of terrain and fights different kinds of creatures to get to uh, – it's Tim Curry, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Tim yeah, Curry to, plays yeah. the Lord of Darkness. Yeah, to get to um, the this Lord is not of this is not specifically a Lord of Darkness episode, but we're going to talk about the Lord of Darkness, and yeah. what I may do is call this Volume One of Legend, where we focus on um, kind of uh, some things and not others, and then yeah. maybe I bring it up, you know, sometime time down in the future because I I love Legend so much, so. Um, I I don't know if your listeners can tell we have a different energy when we really like a topic, but man, this is in my, this is in my zone. I really, really, um, really enjoy legend. I enjoy it. The more that I watch it, the more I enjoy it. It doesn't get, it doesn't, you know, it's one of those weird cases where you, you see something when you're like six and it actually gets better over time, which is, you know, not, um, not every movie.
0: Here's here's how I would how I would describe Legend. Like Legend Legend would be a fantasy movie, but it isn't. It's a love story. Because I put fantasy movies into this category where the setting is rich and filled with things. And there are like six people in this movie. There's no real setting. Like there's there's really good set <laughs> pieces like um yeah, Forests the and, physical sets yeah. are,
1: are, are insane. Yeah, yeah. all, all it, kinds It has of, one of the most elaborate f- sets of physical production designs ever.
0: Yeah, but the, the the feeling I got from them was that it was just a giant open uh, fantasy heaven. And not necessarily like a place, not like a magical kingdom. Yeah, it, or it, like it, a, it is.
1: It is extremely. It is extremely otherworldly. You never yeah. cut to the um, to the bustling market. Yeah,
0: there's no, no. town. Uh, there's there's no. Is, yeah, there's right. <laughs> like the there's the peril. N- there's, never,
1: there's never a dozen peasants like you know hoeing a field. Yeah, yeah.
0: The peril that the evil doer casts upon like the populace was represented by one house. <laughs> like, and, um, that always, I, I thought that that was always helpful to direct the attention to the love story about, um, these two incredibly young at, look how young Tom Cruise is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's cause he had only, he had only had, um, two real movies before that. This was immediately prior to Top Gun. So he had not. Um, his his rocket had not yet been quite lit at this point, and he was still a little bit of a, a young scamp with his um, kind of like uh, choppy He-Man hair. Yeah, uh, and this is uh, this is pre Scientology Cruise, so so get it while it's hot, folks.
2: <laughs> that would be a shame because someone as fair and lovely as yourself, Miss Meg, deserves far better than scrawny me. Don't you think? Yeah, think we fair, do you dare? All these heavenly angels must envy your beauty.
1: <laughs> so uh, what what um, legend is, is just a, not not to contradict you, but generally understood to be a sweeping fantasy epic from 1985. It was released... Um, around cr- Christmas, because of the weird delay that they use in um, film uh, openings. It came out in January 1986 in the UK, which is why sometimes if you're online, you can't tell which year it came out. It's because it, it was kind of like one leg on one year, one leg on the other. Yeah. Um, written written by uh, Ridley Scott and um, William Horsberg and directed by Ridley Scott, who had only made... Um, Three movies prior to that with some very specific tones. Ridley Scott, obviously, um, if you don't know him, he's one of the most famous living directors ever. Big, big fan um, over here. He directed Blade Runner, Alien, Gladiator. um, But at this point, his first film was The Duelists, and then he had done Blade Runner and Alien, uh, and was motivated to make a film that his kids could watch yeah. because the the, th- the the prior three films were either too boring or too inappropriate. And he had had an idea for a, uh, a modern um, effects-laden take on some version of a fairy tale since 1977 while he was um, working on The Duelists. So Scott actually left the production of Dune, due to the issues they were having to uh, that opened him up to work on this film. So perhaps if Dune isn't such a clusterfuck at the beginning of its production, we don't get legend in this version, or <laughs> we get a very different version of Dune directed by uh, Ridley Scott. Hard to say, so just put that in your pipe. Um, the, the film is said to come out of Scott's original concept to create a film based on the myth... Yeah, based on the myth... Of Tristan and Isolde, then leaning farther toward a generic Brothers Grimm vibe in order to escape the restrictions of an existing storyline, and originally going super dark with the plot, including Lily transforming into yeah. a deformed monster... And either outright rough sexual scene with Lily and Darkness, or something <laughs> equally disturbing, and the film having a much heavier quasi horror tone. That obviously contradicts the idea that it's something he could show his kids. But you know, people say different things at different places. So it's it's we're not I'm not exactly sure. But the visually the vi- the visual inspiration for this film are a mix of various different things. But some of the main ones that are fairly obvious. Um, Disney animation generally, all you have to do is look at the any of the one-sheets, the posters, the promo stuff for the film, and it's very obvious they're doing uh, an evocation of classic Disney um, dark versus light fairy tale stuff, um, as well yeah. as paintings of the Dutch master Vermeer um, in the early <laughs> scenes when Lily goes and visits um, what is, like, some kind of peasant woman that, depending on the version you're watching, may be her nursemaid. Um, Yeah. Because the thing is, and this is going to come up a bunch, come up, like, multiple times, different things are in different versions because the American version was cut down to be lean and mean because Americans cannot sit through a fantasy movie that's that long. (laughs) Um, So the (laughs) Europeans got all of this extra stuff, like the definitive fact that Lily was a princess... Which was completely yeah. like skated past in the American version. Like she's tricked yeah. out, kind of like a princess, but they never mention that. So you're kind of like, why is this fucking lady just dropping in on people and <laughs> running around like she's got no problems? Why is she dressed so? You know what I mean? It's it it really is. Yeah. There's an implication that she's but in the American version, yeah, I always go like, yeah. "What's up with this fucking girl just like wandering around in the woods all day?" But anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, Disney animation, uh, Vermeer, you know, the, the incredibly famous uh, painter who did you know, Girl the Poor, the Pearl Earring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you look at the shots of of that scene where she you know crashes that family's home. They're very yeah. clearly rendered in the style of Vermeer paintings. And also, <laughs> yeah. as I discovered, this was a part that I did not know before um, doing research for this episode was um, that there is pretty clearly some inspiration from a 1920s Swedish slash Danish, quote unquote, documentary film called Haxen, which means like witchcraft mm. or witch stuff. Um yeah. by a dude called yeah. Benjamin christensen, who which was banned in the u k. for its graphic depiction of sexuality, torture, and general devilry. and uh, <laughs> it's on it's it's in on YouTube and it's hour and forty minute glory. It's a bunch of, like, quote unquote, documentary vignettes about, like, Witches enchanting people and naked girls getting sacrificed and and devils taking people over. And you're like, there's a bunch (laughs) of like 20s butt in it. And I'm like, I've never seen a movie with 20s (laughs) butt in it, which is like, so it's totally. I was like, and and visually in some of the segments where they depict kind of these um, silhouetted devils and devils dancing around cauldrons, you definitely can see. a corollary and an inspiration for some of the dark aspects for um, this movie legend. So, I mean, if you got 10 minutes, just like grab Haxon on YouTube and like zip through it, scrub around a little bit and you're like, damn, this is cool. I'm going to have to actually have a sit down with it sometime. But it, it, you know, it's um, the production quality is also super wild. It was the most expensive, um, film to be made in like Scandinavia ever at the time. Um, they, there was like two, <laughs> the equivalent of like 2 million kroner or something is wild. So check out <laughs> Haxon cause it is, it is something I've never, uh, I, you know, I have a fucking degree in, in film production. I never seen anything like that. <laughs> it is visually, if you've never seen legend, Maybe the most evocative live-action fantasy movie that I can think of, and obviously yeah. I have bias toward the '80s versions and the stuff that is done with practical effects. But I can't think of anything even close that is, you know, a, you know, animation is different, but um, and there's there are certain reasons for that. For for instance, um, it was done in a uh, a studio called Pinewood uh, out there in the UK and uh, the studio the individual studio meaning the studio is a complex of a series of various lots right well the one where they were shooting the film of legend burned down it was called the 007 lot because they shot what 007 movies there. And <laughs> yeah. um, they burned the, the shit down one day on like, uh, I got it here somewhere, June 27th of I believe 1984, but don't quote me on which year it was. Um, and, and as Ridley Scott describes, um, you know, they had this, ma- if you watch the film, they have this massively elaborate, you know, um, wintry, um, just Gorgeous fairy laden pink flower (laughs) petal volcano churning fake beautiful trapper keeper set where the fucking unicorns frolic in the goddamn like creek bed like in it all you, yeah. there's and you go like there's no way that's a set but you're like also there's no way that's not a set because how the fuck would you be able to wrangle these unicorns and i i know that they're not unicorns they're horses <laughs> with things glued to their heads but you get my point you look at it and you're like yeah. how the fuck do you do that because i've never seen a movie that kind of does it in such a Baroquely aggressively visual way. The way I described it, and I thought I was going to save this for the end of the show, but I describe um, the visual style of this movie as being basically the ultimate trapper keeper film, where yeah. it is just doing all of the um, hardcore cliche down the middle fantasy shit as hard as it fucking can. Like, handsome guy with sword battles a dark horned demon. Alongside a bunch of frolicking fairies, um, you know, after defeating a a series of of, fairies, a series of bizarre goblins and hags and monstrosities, in order to um, end the snowy uh, descent of eternal night from taking over all of the world forever and uh, allowing anarchy and evil to reign from now on in. Um, and that's not even including some, that's not even including like t- the specifics of Tim K- Curry's performance or, you know, that's even glossing over it. It's just so like, duh, 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 I got a fucking sword, motherfucker. Like it is, it is so triumphant and like uh, synthesizer versus air guitar. It is wild. There's the vibes, are, <laughs> the vibes. The vibes are so 80s.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of um, actors dressed up in things that wiggled off of them, like uh, horns. Yeah, there's and a lot of latex noses. prosthetics. And sure, yeah, sure, tons of sure. ears and noses wiggling around. Like um, every character that isn't Tom Cruise or um, Sarah, what's her name?
1: Mia Sarah. <laughs> Mira um, Sarah, yeah. Me, yeah. Mia Sarah. Uh, so wait, no. Is that, Am I getting that right? Mia Sarah? Um, the point is that, yeah, you, and some of you, she plays Lily, the, the main female character, the love interest, and she played this immediately before playing Sloan Peterson in Ferris Bueller's day off. And oh, then she kind yeah. of like evacuates Hollywood. She's kind of like, you know yeah, what? Hol- then, Hollywood's kind of that hard. Was it. Um, <laughs> so she's got these, these, these two movies where she's like a gorgeous, teenager and then is out you like never see her ever again (laughs) good call (laughs) Uh, She probably yeah i don't know what the hell she did afterward but yeah probably wait
0: time cop do it
1: Uh, did she seriously was she in time cop
0: (laughs) she was in time cop somebody had to be in time cop (laughs) somebody Um, had to be in time cop (laughs) i still haven't seen time cop because um the universe prevents me from seeing it
1: yeah, what did we get forced to actually watch when we didn't get to sneak into Time Cop that one time? What bullshit? Like the
0: fucking Lion King or something. No, yeah, no, it know. was worse than that. It was something no, terrible. No, Lion, oh.
1: Lion King would have been like at least entertaining.
0: Yeah. Like, I, it was uh, Lion King?
1: Was it Aladdin? I, 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 no, I remember it I every like time Aladdin. it
0: comes on TV. Every time I have to watch this movie, I think, oh, this is what don't, I saw instead of Time Cop. I hate this shit.
1: Don't worry, Time Cop's not that good. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's called time cop. (laughs) So sometime we'll have to review time cop, even though it's got no, I assume no monsters in it, but who the fuck knows?
0: Yeah.
1: Again, we are (laughs) dancing around the fact that when we were, I don't know, 14, 13, 12, we tried to, we tried to, to movie jump to an R rated movie because, um, time cop was R and we bought tickets for whatever the fuck. And then, yeah, uh, and I'm a, as a, someone who subsequently worked in the movies for like five years, like at the movie theater. I'm amazed that anybody gave a shit to actually watch what we were doing. But <laughs> I guarantee one of those ticket takers was just like these kids aren't going to <laughs> fucking, uh, fucking Lion King. They're gonna try to sneak yes. into Time Cop. I dare you. S-s-s-
0: somebody did. Yeah, they must have thought that too. They must have thought like these kids are gonna well, try to get into Time Cop. Well, like, re- all,
1: <laughs> all you have to do the all you have to what the thing is to to you know, the massive yeah. caper that you have to commit to get away with that is just go into the movie that you paid for first. Wait Yeah. yeah. Eight eight fucking minutes. Watch the credits and then go over. Because they're not fucking <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Uh, they're they're you know, they're off doing lines off of the projectors ten minutes later. So it's it's fine. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, but I, I didn't but, think of that.
1: Uh, no, well, neither did I at the time. But you know, you don't. You, you're not. Yeah, you're not doing Ocean's Eleven when you're like 13. So whatever. It's how it goes. So um, <laughs> the fucking legend. But, but so legend is uh, now and forever. It is um, le- legend is.
0: Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up.
1: Meg Mucklebones, as we said, yeah. is amazingly portrayed by um, character, ap- ac- character actor Robert Picardo. Um, yeah. So, like I said, my guess is that um, Rob Boutin knew him from doing The Howling and was like, hey, you know, uh, we need to have this bizarre-ass monster. Um, I got a guy that can wear makeup and, and be theatrical. Why don't you take a look yeah. at it? <laughs> Supposedly, the story goes that Um, Ridley Scott had originally had um, Richard O'Brien, the uh, aforementioned in this show, creator of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, Because if you see him playing... Um, I want to call him hashtag. What the fuck is? <laughs> why, can't, why can't I remember that character's name? Riffraff. When you see Riff him, playing, <laughs> when you see when you see him playing Riffraff, you're like, I totally get this guy playing a like a nightmarish old crooked, uh, you know, like witch. That's totally, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but apparently, he he watches Rocky Horror Picture Show in order to like get the vibe. And he sees Tim Curry playing Frankenfurter. And specifically what Tim Curry ends up saying in the documentary is, wow, that is an awfully brave performance. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, doesn't pick O'Brien to play Meg Mucklebones, but does go to say like, well, that fucking guy should play my Lord of darkness <laughs> monstrosity dude, because that guy's got balls. Uh, yeah, in a, in a certain level of irony, which it turns out to be uh, totally true, and and um, we'll get to we'll get to Tim Curry's darkness a little bit later on. Picardo takes an audition, he gets the part, and um, he talks at length about the misery uh, and true danger of having to play Meg Mucklebones from a practical sense because it, you have to you have to look at this creature because it's like a nine. 10 foot kind of like um, uh, snaking kind of humanoid bestial humpback thing that's dripping with, like you mentioned before, this kind of like um, terrible dripping waggly nose and impossibly long yeah. uh, uh, f- uh, fingers with a, even more impossibly long um, claws on the end of them that she drags over Jack's shield as she's um, taunting with him with uh, how she's going to eat him so deliciously. Yeah.
2: What a fine or you make. be the rest of you as sweet as your stuff. <laughs> Wait!
0: Fill no, your oh, with loveliness! Feast on the beauty of your reflection! You are an angel, Miss Meg. Look, uh.
2: Look.
1: Like a idea. And uh, this whole apparatus is just like monstrously heavy. You're talking like a hundred pounds of this stuff. And as Robert Picardo discusses that, it, you know, he was meant to in the scene rise out of the water, which he does in the film. And so yeah. he's in, he's under three feet of water, but then in order for the entire apparatus that's holding him to also be underwater, Um, he's kind of like locked into a mechanism, kind of a (laughs) a steel platform that is in like 10 more feet of water below that. And so he goes like down and has like a breathing apparatus and then is shoved up, like up out into the water. And he describes how incredibly physically impossible it was because all of that latex, as soon as you... Submerge it; just acts like a sponge, which is essentially what it is, and sucks up all of that like miserable studio water that's full of, (laughs) you know, like cigarette butts and and and, you know like (laughs) gaffer gaffer farts and pigeon pigeon poop because of all of the hundreds of pigeons that had made a home in the artificial forest in Pinewood studio during the production. That was like a whole thing because when the place burned down one day at lunch, all the pigeons fucked off. They're like, we made a home out of this fake forest that you made in this giant building. And now we're so confused because you just burned it all down. You human beings are fucking crazy. Um, but um, it's obviously an incredibly physically demanding role, and he ki- has to, like, gesticulate around. And, and I'm sure, Gavin, even though it's been a, a hunk and a half of time since you've seen the film, yeah. Meg Mucklebones is um, how Picardo does the character. How, how would you describe it just in broad terms? Like, how does the character sound or feel or what's the vibe there?
0: Like, um, like a hag, um, and and not like a, a ten out of ten a, hag, a, a, yeah. Like not a comedy actor who who delivers lines perfectly and like uh in in a come on, like in a comedy fashion, because he's in the army now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is he in in the army now? Is that no? That was that what
0: looking? we saw instead of time cup. Really. Are yeah. you sure? I don't remember uh,
1: seeing in the army now. But it, uh, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's um, um it's a it's amazingly yeah, I actually think describing it as quote not a comedy performance is like yeah. pretty true. Because if it was a couple notches one direction or the other, it would be a comedy performance. But yeah. it is fucking terrifying. <laughs> like yeah. this this monster this monster is huge, it's dripping wet, it is very otherworldly, but As opposed to being, like, gossamer and distant and fairy-like, it is all of the opposite things. It's kind of like a, like, it's got actually some of the vibes of, like, the wet, dead lady in Room 237 in The Shining. Where you're like, this is all bad like you are yeah. rotting you're dripping you're falling apart Th- are things oozing off like are you healthy are you sick well you're yeah. why are you that color and then it's got the intimacy of it's naked and it yeah. wants to fucking eat you yeah. like it really does encompass a lot of that hag stuff that comes yeah it's it's naked the- dripping
0: rotting and wants to hug and like (laughs) yeah yeah wants to
1: to eat you as a juicy morsel and so it is like meg Bucklebones is genuinely really fucking scary and i find it to be compelling every time i watch the movie it's only a two minute scene um and it resolves fairly briefly where he tricks her by getting her to use his shield as a mirror in this kind of narcissus gazing into the pond kind of way which distracts her long enough for him to um, whack her head off spoiler alerts with his <laughs> yeah. uh, sword that he barely knows how to use and then yeah. she does this she does this great like headless clawing at the the stump like like screaming terrifying sound effect like Bleh! whale yeah. thing it's it's phenomenal it's really good um, and it, it you know it's a very short scene but it's it has maximum impact in a way it's almost like you um, uh what's uh what's it in fucking true romance when Christian Slater goes to uh confront the drug dealer? Drexel. So Oh right, Dre- Gary Yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. like when Yeah. It, it kind of it in a way it kind of reminds me of Drexel in the sense that Drexel is in maybe one five minute scene. I, yeah. I and so uh they knew or specifically uh Specifically, Gary Oldman knew that he had to put as much as he could into the character, into those five minutes as possible. So he's yeah. got this fucked up, crazy scar. He's got the like wild ass grill. He's yeah. wearing <laughs> boxers and this like leopard leopard kind of like kimono. He's got yeah. the dreads. He's got the fucked up eye. He's got the really weird put upon accent.
0: Let's see. We're sitting down here,
2: ready to negotiate. <laughs> You've already given up your shit. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See so if I asked if you want some dinner, and you ready the egg start a try down, I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's coming on like he ain't got a care in the world, and who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down, watch my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> you ain't even sat down yet. And that TV over there since you've been in the room is a woman with her breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look.
1: Every yeah. single thing he could be doing is like punching at the ceiling going, notice this character, because I'm only yeah. in this one scene. So you got to remember me. And it, you know, Meg Mucklebones is very similar, where like the frame by frame impact, the you know the danger per square frame is really off the chart. And yeah. um, you know, I I dare anybody to watch it and not find it somewhat compelling. <laughs>
2: Did it? Hi there. My name is Douglas Rassensberger and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and seeds for a relaxing snack and suddenly, there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded naval sword. That's what. Here at Douglas and Colors, we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a colors for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a colors for that looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a Cutlass for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle quality 27 inch half guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling, no matter what's your problem. An easy to wield iron forged cutlass is probably the solution. So, once again, I'm Douglas Raffles of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabbed with me. Please go to paypal.me/slash oops all monsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me/slash oops all monsters.
1: Since we've been talking about. Um, The execution of Meg Um, We should mention A little bit more About Rob Boteen Because Rob Boteen Is like like It's like him and the Stan Winston company and Stan Winston that are really the top of Mount Practical more um, in yeah. terms of doing um, iconic practical effects that have had a major uh, effect on definitely this show. So if yeah. you don't know Rob Botine he's responsible for just a few movies including The Fog The Howling John Carpenter's The Thing and Total Recall and obviously this movie Legend and um, there's a whole shitload more of them but if those don't um, if those uh, don't grab you in terms of what his like uh, chops are basically. I mean, just the thing itself. And he, if only if he had only made the thing, he probably would be still one of the most famous practical effects like creature guys of all time. Yeah. Even just from that, if he had done literally nothing else, um, <clears throat> the thing would have cemented him in uh, a very specific place in in like uh, creature special effects.
0: Yeah, like like I said earlier, like. All all of the actor, all of the supporting actors have um, a a an assortment of prosthetics on that uh, make them look like actual magical little little beings bubbling about, and that's also kind of what I meant by uh, Meg Mucklebone's not being a comedy performance because everything else almost is. Like, um, there's a lot of yeah, goblins. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the, yeah. The main villain is surrounded by goblins to, um, kind of softly support his, uh, the concept that he has dominion over all evil, but like, (laughs) but in this fantastical way where that's, that's represented by, um, having six goblins around who kind of bumble and bump into each other and, um make uh ridiculous noises instead of language um with the exception of blix like the leader goblin
1: yeah um let's talk about uh the fairy the 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 elves and the goblins and uh blix and gump here for a minute yeah so um you know i, I think that if we do this topic ever again we'll probably talk a lot more about the fairies the elves and the goblins but there's kind of like the these two halves of the coin Binary, uh, light and dark thing going on of the elves, which, um, you might describe more as kind of like a, f- a kind of broader fairy folk, but they yeah. are at times referred to as elves, yeah. um, led by, uh, Gump portrayed by David Bennett, uh, who's uh, a, a little person who I've referred to previously in the show, who does a really fantastic job, who had not been in a ton of stuff at the time because he's a German theater guy. Yeah. Um, but um, he plays this like classic, um, you know, just like uh, He-Man kind of crotch covering turned up shoes Um, little bow and arrow, pointy ears, (laughs) like elven prince guy, who's kind of king of the forest, who jumps in and is surrounded by these various other characters played by um, Billy Barty and uh, um, a handful of uh, other really fantastic uh, little people actors. And they are definitely um, comedy relief with kind of the exception of Gump being able to give exposition about what things mean and which way should we go now and, and you know, like, what, what's up with these unicorns? And um, so uh, Gump is kind of the leader and is kind of the exception to the rule on the fairy and elf side. And yeah. on the goblin side, there's this incredible portrayal um, by uh, an actress, and I did not know this until I was an adult. Uh, Alice Playton, who plays Blix, yeah,
0: uh,
1: and she's kind of a voice person who has had a lot of success. She was like a My Little Pony um, voice person <laughs> yeah. and done, done a lot of um, done a lot of animation and things. But she plays on screen and in voice um, Blix, who is uh, absolutely like show-stealing in the scenes that he's in.
0: Yeah.
2: Higher, higher, burning fire, making music like a choir. Mm. (laughs) It seems a pity to waste such power. Waste? Better watch out, old pal Pucks, or I'll turn you into little pork chops.
1: He's the most vile of the goblins. He is the leader of the goblins. He has this absurdly long arch like eight inch long nose that seems to be like dripping sweat in every scene
0: and
1: speaks almost exclusively in these um, very Baroque limericks where everything he says rhymes and turns this bizarre like turn of phrase.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Actually, I'm saying his but I also want to point out that upon upon going back into this and looking at various things that Ridley Scott makes decision-wise toward gender in the characters in this movie and various other movies, it's actually not obvious that Blix is a male or a masculine goblin. He, I, yeah. It's It's actually not obvious if you go back and actually think about it. When I was a kid, yeah. I just, you know, assumed because you had 1980s, pre, you know, prejudices and the, you're eating your good and plenties and the floor of the more theater is sticky and you know, it's a goblin. <laughs> it's a, it's a boy, it's a boy, but this actually not like super obvious. Like, I want to point out some other things about, um, these characters specifically that makes that a little bit more interesting of, a of an equation. So, um, Blix is a gender swap or maybe not Blix is who knows what gender Blix is he's just maybe they maybe they are a goblin who the fuck knows yeah. but in the English language ver in the English language versions gump is voiced also by Platon who plays uh, Blix because David Bennett at least at the time spoke like zero English he's like a straight (laughs) up German dude Um, and he was like very young at the time
2: do you think you can upset the order of the universe and not pay the price (laughs) He meant no wrong what I did is done but I did it for love
1: love you say but answer me this riddle and all will be forgiven so this is almost certainly for practical purposes because if you watch them in the german versions it's contrary wise meaning that both of them are are actually voiced by david bennett and i have not watched the german versions but i would like to to see Mm -hmm. how he sounds doing those because that sounds really fucking interesting Um, but so you layer that on, like you have the Blix kind of gender ambiguity and you lay that on top of Picardo playing what is clearly a female hag slash slash witch slash witch in Meg Mucklebones. Um, you see, that's kind of not an isolated thing because also Ridley Scott has a habit of doing funny things with genders. So, It's not just that he's also the director of Alien and Blade Runner, but also the director of G.I. Jane and Thelma and Louise. And he was also the person who made the decision that when he picked up the original Alien script and the main character was simply named Ripley, decided that it would be more interesting if it was portrayed by Sigourney Weaver than, say, you know, Sylvester Stallone or somebody. Where (laughs) somebody else, you know, he just decided, like, well, the character's just named Ripley... I don't even have to put past this by anybody. Let's just get like a kick-ass lady and it'll be an entirely different movie. So obviously this is a guy that's interested in um, female visibility and also... I don't think that he's doing any kind of like, you know, weird woke shit about it. I just think that he has a very dynamic sense of what's like cool to include and that he's not seeing these boundaries as having an incredible amount of meaning. And that well, maybe it's yeah, yeah, more interesting if this, just, he's just swapping ingredients out in the most interesting combinations is the way. Yeah. I see the,
0: it. the Ripley thing I think was pretty much just like space truckers in the future. I bet you there's going to be a hefty amount of women. And
1: yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you know, for sure. Like it's I mean, that yeah. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I guess it both is and is not that simple because I guarantee that, if you get 300 directors, 299 of them are not going to have that idea at the, you know, yeah. at this time we are talking, yeah. you know, cause you're talking 1981, right? Or um, yeah. 1979 79, for the original yeah. alien. So yeah. like, you're not exact, you're not exactly having people going like, you know what I need to make, I need to get this like big commercial, um, sci-fi movie to definitely make money. Let's make the, the main person be a lady is yeah. not, the, on the tip of everybody's tongue. So there it's definitely an, a, it's definitely in a way, a subtly intense decision, right? Uh, and I, I mean I think it's an incredibly important decision because when you go like into the future and look at the implications of Ridley versus the alien, and the other characters in the <laughs> alien movies versus the alien, like, a lot of it has to do with being forced to harbor, you know, a version of a baby, right? Yeah. That's really what, like, the the alien infection thing is, where it's like there's kind of it, – it it's some version of a forced pregnancy. And doing that to a lady, in addition to making the lady, like, the – Star of the film in a movie that's a mix of action and horror, <laughs> like it it gives it a different set of implications and considerations. Like if you took that movie and made Dallas the hero, and then made Sigourney Weaver the Dallas character who just like dies at point like um, you know halfway through, that's an entirely different movie, right? If Dallas yeah. survives the end. in a way it lacks a certain, a a lot of impact in ways that are even hard to imagine. I don't know. I know you're such a fan. I'm sure you have, you know, I mean, isn't it a, isn't it a weaker movie if Dallas lives to the end or am I wrong?
0: Um, yeah, yeah. The, the whole man alien Ripley being the toughest space trucker, uh, doesn't doesn't come from like any type of role reversal thing or anything like that because it's all happenstance that she's the one that lives. Because they were all tough. Mm. And like she just happened to be like the most clever. She was the she was the one that made it through um uh certain events through for like through luck and then certain events because yeah. she's smart. And um it's it's balanced out throughout the movie. Like um whenever her and uh Veronica Cartwright and the other guy were the last 3. It was just sheer luck where the alien went, like either to where those two were or where she was. And like <laughs> Yeah, Ripley is a is a it's a great character. That's a great story. And um I'm I got sidetracked because I saw that there's going to be a gladiator 2. And like how the hell are they going <laughs> to do that? <laughs> Um,
1: yeah, it's going to be it's going to be called Gladiator Two: the Joker
0: Rises. Yeah, it's going to be like whatever, whatever came after Commodus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, Commodus Commodus comes back as the clown, the clown prince of crime (laughs) um, and takes takes over Rome and forces everybody to listen to his type five over and over again (laughs) until they all um, die from Smilex gas. Uh, I, d- <laughs> uh, the internet wants to tell me is Maximus and gladiator two, given that the sequel will be following Lucius, the son of Lucilla. Oh, uh,
0: that would A 25 to 30
1: year time jump will be taking place. Russell Crowe, who portrayed Maximus is still expected to appear in the film, even though he dies at the end of the first film. <laughs> so a 25 to 30 year time jump in the, f- into the future. Um, yes. So it'll apparently go 30 years in the future, but somehow Russell Crowe will be alive. Um, who, who the fuck knows? He got I shot know. out the airlock. Uh, I doesn't, Clugs. I can't, I can't, Clugs. I can't. We're in, we're inside of a de- S- detour S- 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 inside S- S- of a
0: detour. Anyone else with a comment? Whenever I like revisited legend to actually watch it, that was probably about 11. And I, uh-huh. I picked from the VHS store. Legend, Dark Stalkers and Beastmaster or Dark Stalker. And um yeah, after okay. watching all of those I did ultimately decide Legend is the best of these.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a um it's not a genre known for quality.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like
1: it's the sort this the the Sword and Sorcery genre is so easy to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> um because the ways in which it the the it's very expensive.
0: Yeah,
1: it's very impractical. Yeah. It requires it requires really d- extremely difficult to sell special effects. Um, you know, and back in yeah. this era, they were like all practical and, effects, or you would it, include like opticals and you know yeah. opticals or anim. You know, um, a uh, kind of Harryhausen animation. They both have their own limitations.
0: Yeah, I th- and, I think the you know, the biggest the biggest uh uh thing that went into the poor quality of it was that everybody who wanted to make these movies had no idea how to make a movie they just had a bunch (laughs) of good ideas like look at all these good ideas look at all this fantastical stuff I came up with how the fuck do I make this a movie I just don't know and you can tell (laughs) 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 yeah
1: yeah and and um, you know even some of the most successful films in the 1980s sword and sorcery zone um, like the Conan trilogy, yeah. they you still have to really yeah. stick your tongue in your cheek to to properly enjoy them there's yeah. a, there's a, there you really have to like the genre um and <laughs> even even legend, this isn't a detractor for me, but people that have a more traditional um kind of film stance will go like will they'll hit on the script for being overly simplistic and like why do they go from one place to the other and and why is the plot so simple which yeah. is. Also, kind of like the same thing that um, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner gets hit on is, which is like, why is this plot so simple? Like, actually, I'm why. Why does everything have to be so fucking complicated for yeah. you to enjoy it? Like, yeah. not everything has to be Downton Abbey. Like Jaws yeah. is a good movie, <laughs> yeah. and the plot <laughs> is not that complicated. It's yeah. about like individuals experiencing. Complicated situations. You know what?
0: I've, I've thought about that. And I think that Blade Runner's setting is like a bustling dystopia full of stuff. And so that's what people expect is like every aspect of their boring, convenient lives to be explained in like. Uh, in super convenience, and it's not; it's just kind of there as a living, breathing character. And I guess that disappoints some people. But I lo- i loved Blade Runner. <laughs> like, you don't have to get into why better than life chips are better than life chips. It's
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think that there's a mix of people. being incredibly lazy in terms of, like, filling in the blanks of the world. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, like, if the characters don't explain... What the fuck is going on with the plot? People think that there is no plot. And I'm yeah. like, I, you know, I I think Blade Runner on certain levels is actually quite complex. Yeah. But it's complex in the interior experiences of the various characters that are suffering through it.
0: Yeah. I yeah. I think yeah, that yeah, yeah. you
1: know, Roy Roy Batty and Rachel and Deckard and all these characters are suffering through their own manifestations of their own sense of who it is to be them in this like world that is only barely like graspable where everything is artificial and even their memories can't be trusted.
0: Yeah. And that
1: the, like the plot is happening internally to these characters and in like, for instance, in Blade Runner 2049, there's probably twice as much plot, but still the point the stuff that matters is the shit that's happening internally yeah. in, like, in Gosling as the Tin Man and the other characters having to wrestle internally with the drama of the implications of the status of, of what they are and where they are in their world. And like the amount of like, well, this happened because this happened and that happened because that happened. And if the Butler had not told Nancy about it in the second act, we wouldn't have gotten that result. It's just like unnecessary fucking crap. Do you see how much shit (laughs) Brian Gosling is going through right now?
0: Yeah. 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 I did. I did like Twenty Forty Nine. There's there was a, a certain point where it lost me because there were too many like gun blasts, and I di- I didn't. I, I I honestly didn't know who was shooting at who, and like that.
1: I, I that kinda I kind lost of lost me for um, a second.
0: But but other than that,
1: <laughs> I have such an in, intense um fandom of the original movie, I it was really hard for me to <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: go into the second one and like experience it in, in any kind of fair way. You know, yeah. I was really a prejudiced I was really a prejudiced
0: audience. That's what I got.
1: And, to, yeah. <laughs> and I I I remember watching it and going like, hmm, I kind of bet I don't hate this. Yeah. Like I I I frequently experience certain things In a from behind a viewing screen way, where I'm like, I think I enjoyed that, (laughs) but because my, I I, because it's like seeing the Blade Runner sequel, my brain was trying to handle so many levels of information at once. Yeah, trying to you know the text. The subtext, the like, the marriage of the two timelines together. Of you know, this character, unlike Deckard, is explicitly uh, you know a robot man the whole time. Yeah. And the the layers of the the time change and and which version of the plot are they buying into? Because you know now Harrison Ford's character is alive and you know, what version of Rachel being alive? live army. So apparently we've got the director's cut version that we're dealing with. And then I'm also, <laughs> also judging like, how are they doing the visuals? And yeah. I wish they hadn't cast him as the bad guy. And well, that effect looks kind of weird. And Oh, he has also a, an AI girlfriend and that's interesting. And Oh, yeah. now she's not there anymore. And that's interesting. And I just, I couldn't, it was very difficult for me to enjoy. I was just kind of like experiencing it. Um, without any, like, emotional reaction at all. A little bit like an automaton created by future bio-robotics <laughs> experts. <laughs> did, did you know that the um, the super devil from The Exorcist, Pazuzu, is in this movie?
0: Um, no. Pazuzu's in a lot you of things.
1: The th- <laughs> so there...
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Like mostly little girls in the 70s. But (laughs) so the devil, the demon that uh, takes over uh, Reagan in the famous uh, 1970s horror film Exorcist is portrayed at the beginning by a little statuette that they dig out of a a, a, um, kind of an underground um, uh, area in Iraq. And that devil is meant to be Pazuzu. And that statue or a version of that statue shows up in two different scenes in this movie with absolutely nothing pointing to it whatsoever. It's just kind of an Easter egg that people have d- discovered. Yeah. And um, I, 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 while researching that, I kind of developed this headcanon in my mind where – that um, legend is actually the battle that goes on inside of like Reagan, the girl in an Exorcist's mind during the course of the movie, The Exorcist. Yeah. yeah. And Tim Curry's Lord of Darkness is the same entity as Pazuzu, or a manifestation of a version of Pazuzu. But anyway, yeah. it's a real, Do it's you, a real like <laughs> like it's like a fever dream that she has while she's battling against this demon living inside of her.
0: Do you know the the musical group The Gorillas? I in, do. In all yes. of their fictional glory. Well, their, their either main antagonist or main guardian angel is Pazuzu. In, wow. Yeah. You okay. gotta, you That's, gotta like put that together cause it's hidden. <laughs> it's a hell of a vibe. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, the gorillas really has like a hiding behind a screen that's yes. also hiding behind a screen that's yes. like hiding in a closet vibe. It's like yes, they uh, do. I would like to. Ha- I would like to have a rock band, but I would like to never be seen by human eyes. Yeah. I would. I would have liked to have not been perceived. Um, but wow. That's specifically a vibe. Some other random business about um, Legend is – it was actually – and I could be wrong here, but it's quoted a lot of places. So get at me if the internet has spoken incorrectly about this. But it was supposedly the main inspiration for the video game series Legend of Zelda. Uh, I see a lot of
0: places where that has been um – uh, it sounds like discredit. one of those things
1: that could be malarkey, yeah, so it's, if, it's if, likely if somebody can tell malarkey. me that that's not really the case, I it would like to know.
0: definitely had influences on later Link games, um, but Legend of Zelda, they came out at pretty much the same time.
1: I mean, you certainly can see that there could be something there, but it may just be
0: people having an opinion.
1: I want to briefly tackle some of the things about the various versions of this film. Technically, there's like three, but there's two that are really matter in terms of vast differences. There's the U.S. theatrical version, and then there's the director's cut, and... The directors cut mostly hues to the same content as the uh, version that came out in the UK and Europe generally. Yeah. But the main difference is being that Lily is explicitly a princess, as we referenced earlier <laughs> yeah,
0: in Nana. Yeah, that would've versions. helped me.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jesus, it makes so much more fucking sense why this woman is so entitled and running around just fucking touching unicorns, willy nilly. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and two um the soundtrack so the soundtrack originally was oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. incredible soundtrack artist composer Jerry Goldsmith but um then when it came out the they basically they dropped Goldsmith because I I don't know I think that Scott just had had worked previously with Tangerine Dream, and it was like we got we got to be when you're making this the sword and sorcery movie. The kids want some of those uh, hot synthesizer trapper keeper vibes. <laughs> we got to get these um, got to get these three Germans in goggles up here with their moogs. Oh, and, goodness' um, sakes. But as much as much as I make fun of it, y'all are gonna hear a lot of damn drops of Tangerine Dream because oh, you I love. You. I love the cream sickle synthesizer nonsense that is the soundtrack of this movie. Yeah. It is so for me, as a person who's not even a massive fan of nostalgia, it is so nostalgic. It like I immediately start pulling out like my golden bastard sword from behind my hip and raising my gleaming shield into the sky and chasing down the street in my boxers looking for goblins to vanquish it is just so fucking triumphant and it also really works as a kind of counter-programming for what you're expecting it or or maybe in a way it goes with the vibe because you're like these visuals are so unearthly and also the sound is so unearthly like it is it is majestic and Ethereal, but it's also digital and hard to pin down. You don't know what it's doing. It's a little alienating and kind <laughs> of open. It's just—it it's, has its own magical quality. It's—I it's, um, don't know. It's—it's
0: it's, it's definitely for this movie.
1: And it really creates, it creates something different as opposed to using a more traditional score by Jerry Goldsmith. And I've watched the version with Goldsmith. It's a good score, but it's just a good score. Yeah. Um, The (laughs) Tangerine Dream soundtrack turns it into something else as just (laughs) as a film, right? Because film is so contingent on the soundtrack to create mood and this movie is like moody as fuck so the i i am i stand for the tangerine dream soundtrack um the there's an elaborate fairy scene where gump and the other fairies explain a lot of necessary shit toward the beginning when they first meet jack (laughs) and that is cut out of the theatrical version um, if you watch it with the Jerry Goldsmith track. And um, I really like that scene. I like the additional Gump stuff. Because it, um, but they just basically cut it for time. And also the American version has uh, an aggressive red font exposition scroll at the upfront to explain all of the dynamics of everything you're about to see so that you don't actually have to watch the movie because Americans are dumb and smoking joints in the theater <laughs> in 19... 19- 87 they can't fucking pay attention to these goddamn fairies and theater
0: perverts <laughs> dancing around theater for
1: films. two and a half hours theater perverts uh, I mean in this case there's definitely some theater perverts yeah you know you literally you literally have Tim Curry oh, um, yeah. in a 9 foot 9 foot tall apparatus <laughs> wearing th- devil horns one
0: of the things that Tim Curry is king of is theater perverts
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes sit
2: Here. Yes. Please. I prefer to stand. Stand! Or stand. As you wish. It is enough that we are alone together. Just the two of us. Some uh, Simple conversation. I have nothing to talk about.
0: You've stolen my dreams away.
2: All things change, Lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity
1: with you. No one can argue that <laughs> anyone could defeat him. <laughs> uh, well, every year that election comes up, and people think about running, and they just they just can't. They go, "We got to wait for him to bow out. We can't do it. He's the he's the king."
0: Did Meg Mucklebones have any powers that maybe we didn't see or anything like that? Did they allude to anything? No. No. <laughs> Just a small
1: Well, I, I I basically, basically, you can imply that she has she ha, she is in some way post-human or metahuman. Yeah. I mean by being a hag. But it seems to be that all of those powers are th- physically manifest physically manifested she's she she seems to have a trunk as opposed to having legs yeah her her limbs and her general physicality is totally wrong she has kind of elven quote unquote unnatural features her skin is pale and green and slimy she obviously can breathe underwater yeah um, but she does not demonstrate anything that implies that she has anything that is um truly supernatural in terms of something that is like non-physical. It seems that she has through even if it's caused by a metaphysical evil, that yeah. every way that she does something is she's
0: basically a beast. Yeah. Um, what was the circumstance that Jack had to Jack had to uh he encounter just, her, or was it just happenstance? He
1: just fucking He just fucking runs up on her like, you know, but here's the thing is like the Brothers Grimm are a major um, are a major influence on like this. And, you know, also like Labyrinth is obviously a movie that has a major relationship to this film. Yeah. And, you know, both of them are are wandering journey films yeah. and you just fucking run it. You just fucking run into encounters D D style in these stories. <laughs> yeah. And that goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years is you're on your way to final destination and you just fucking run into shit <laughs> like that. I, I just, I, I just don't like that. It is ever implied that this is a lazy kind of storytelling. It's like the Brothers Grimm just fucking throw shit at the the main characters of stories. That's how those stories go. Yeah. So if you're if you're going to have a if you're going to hew toward a traditional Brothers Grimm Brothers Grimm style. Fairy tale. You're gonna have just some fucking random shit come up on your hero. That's how the stories go. Anyway, I'm 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 defensive for this kind of storytelling because I am I'm a really an anti like it's gotta have an elaborate and you know totally um, uh, purely organized plot person. I'm like life is not like that. You live you live your life and then you run into fucking random encounters. Life is mostly random encounters. It is not like. A series of orchestrated events that, you know, the the lower half of the of the house is is, you know, fighting against the upper class of the house and the various machinations <laughs> clash into each other in a gorgeous machinery of cause and effect. It's mostly just fucking a witch jumps on your ass.
0: That's <laughs> life.
1: You know what I mean? Yep.
0: Yep. Yep
1: you know you you don't you don't have a lot of hit points and sometimes you run into a hag with your you know volvo <laughs> so uh but no to answer your question she she just she just big and eats people right. um so obviously that is uh that is interesting but i i think it's important i now i'll tell you that um villains.fandom.com seems to think that she is to a great extent, inspired by an old English uh, mythical monster called Jenny Green Teeth, some call, sometimes called Ginny Green Teeth, um, who wow. is a legendary monster native to English folklore. Imagined to be a monstrous witch with green skin, oh. long arms, wild hair, and sharp teeth. Yeah. and she was often said to resemble a pond weed, meaning a weed in the pond. And <laughs> yeah. indeed, the formation of large clumps of pondweed or similar plants in pools of water may be of inspired tales of may have inspired tales of this old hag due to the fact that many children or unwary explorers could drown via becoming ensnared in these weeds. So in a way, What it is, is she ends up becoming a a boogeyman in English folklore to get kids to get the fuck away from the water.
0: Yeah. You know what (laughs) I mean?
1: Which is one of the main, you know, and that's the job of a boogeyman is to... Uh, intentionally scare children into not doing some shit that's not safe for them to do rather than giving them a whole explanation as to why just tell them there's a fucking witch in there
0: yeah
1: and so it's it, and I I when I looked into it I was like oh maybe this is just something that the internet thinks might be true but if you look into Jenny Green Teeth yeah the correlation in terms of description and that it's a bog monster or a lake monster yeah. or that it's, it's something that snatches you from the side of the water and yada 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 seem Extremely Heavily likely that um, uh, Botine Or Scott or both uh, You know mostly Scott because Scott is English yeah. um, Had this very direct inspiration
0: For uh, Meg Mucklebones Yeah the the art that I see For Jenny Greenteeth goes In either direction of A rotting uh, Meg Mucklebones looking thing or An ironically pretty lady which is something <laughs> a, they like to do. <laughs> a
1: 2010 emo band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's interesting how, like, hags and witches overlap with, um, you know, 2008 emo so much. Yeah. Just like the, the, hair, the hairstyles and the general vibe. I would kind of like to have, I'm seeing um, on Etsy.com a uh, Jenny Greenteeth bath toy. Yeah that kind of looks looks like a uh, a gremlin that you could yeah. s- stick on a tree outside your house and f- scare the local myth heads but um yeah there's an incredible amount of uh, visual and visual and conceptual connection between these two maybe it's a coincidence but it, it's it seems it seems like the vibe is totally there so i would not be shocked if this is where um, meg comes from all right let's yeah. So I I have an assignment for our audience. <laughs> um, if anybody can if anybody knows Legend and they can fucking tell me who voices a character that is not credited in this movie. There is a character <laughs> at the like and I'll, I'll I'm going to do this in a kind of backwards ass way where it, it, there's an iconic thing one of the last things that that darkness played by Tim Curry says. Uh, At the end of the film is he's being defeated. Spoiler alert by Jack and the fairies. And he's about to be launched into space. Why, (laughs) why his, the top of his castle shoots directly into space. We will never know, but don't (laughs) worry about it. And he's getting blasted by this sunshine that is destroying him. And he screams, uh, father, protect me. And he's referring to this character that is not named, But that he speaks to in his chambers earlier in the film when he is kind of masticating and ruminating on how he is going to get to corrupting Lily's innocence and turning her into uh, a dark version of herself. And he talks to the fucking fireplace. Yeah. And the the fire in the fireplace speaks and addresses him.
0: Make her one of us.
1: And nowhere can I find on the internet who voices the fire and what the character is supposed to be. Like, if the Lord of Darkness is not the devil... Yeah. Then maybe is this the devil? Is the fireplace fire Pazuzu? Is it uh, the embodiment of all evil? He refers to the fact that he has a father. Yeah. It has a masculine voice. What the fuck is this character? Because I thought I would spend five minutes digging this up, and it would be like, oh, that's um, you know, that's Gorbgok and it's played by you know Jim Fluvia <laughs> <Yes>. from Sussex, <laughs> and everybody knows that. Yeah. But. I, I dug and I dug and I dug and you can, it just can't Google it. It just, it just doesn't work. And if anybody can fucking tell me what is the name of that character and who voices it, I really want to know. Um, because is that Pazuzu? I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah. I'm very, very, very curious because that is a monster on top of a monster. That's the, I remember this now. uh, Yeah.
0: And I, I do. I remember thinking like, um, Tim Curry isn't the devil, he's a demon. And well, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very simple thing that takes virtually no work. You yeah. just shoot the camera at the fireplace, yeah. crank up the fire, and then somebody do a VO on it, and you've got suddenly a new layer of evil that's suddenly behind this giant you know, satyr minotaur demon fucking guy that is like the, one of the most epic depictions of um, pure evil incarnate. Uh, I don't know. People, some people t- talk about Tim Curry as the Lord of darkness, being the devil yeah. about being Satan. Uh, I find that, and this may also be my prejudice. my, my own personal prejudice is to be a little simple as for me. I think I, yeah. the Lord of darkness. I mean, this movie is really on a certain level about being incredibly simple. There's the good guys, there's the bad guys, there's the dark ones, there's the light ones. I think if, if he's quote unquote the devil, that's a little bit boring yeah. cuz there's there's virtually no Christian symbolism in this film. You know, for a, a film that's a guy with a sword going and and battling the dark devil, the dark devil.
0: Yeah.
1: Like There's not a, there's not one goddamn cross in the whole damn movie, you know, like they're, he's, he's, they're, they're not begging for God's help. You know, this is a, this is a very, this is a very, um, kind of hmm, like the Brothers Grimm references and the Disney references you know, they kind of live in this medieval dark age bubble that is kind of post pagan, but is using all of the pagan like sources in order to develop what the world contains. So you're like, yeah. you kind of still are pagan. And I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, ha- I don't have an agenda here. That I'm pushing. I'm just kind of like, I'm talking myself through some ideas, but if, you know, if he's the, if he's like Satan from, um, South park, I find that to be a little bit kind of like boring. Oh, yeah. in a way. <laughs> you know, does that make, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Which, by the way, Satan from South Park is a hundred percent stolen visually from this Tim Curry Lord of. Oh
0: Paris yeah, character. absolutely. It's
1: like exactly the same thing. Same color. Yeah. Same legs. A, same, same horns. Fo- it's same, it's like, an impression it, of the character it is just a, too. It, yeah, it's yeah. a cheap, it's a it's a cheap cartoonified version, and it's and it's like, hilarious. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a joke one that <laughs> wants to have butt sex with Saddam um, <laughs> Hussein. Insane. So you're like, okay, yeah. I get it. I get it.
0: Is it?
2: Is it? Is it, is 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 it? Bitchin' Van Art.
1: Do we think <laughs> that Meg Bucklebones and Darkness and the various other monsters? Oh, like of legend? legend are yeah, legend
0: is bitchin' yeah. Van Art. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Ha- I mean. I would say the hag zone is not necessarily no. bitchin, but definitely legend legend is yeah. I mean the, the you know, Trapper Keeper is kind of like the um the young stepsister of the bitchin' van. Yeah. You know, there's 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 so much overlap, and this is Dead yeah. Setter in the middle of that overlap. So yeah, absolutely. You swords, demons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elves, if, yeah, Trapper
0: Keeper devils, and Bitchin' Van are
1: you uni- Yeah, all you you need is the unicorns, and you got Bitch and Van Art.
0: Yeah. Well, once you hit like. like, uh, (laughs) Bitch and Van Art filters out all of the Lisa Frank bullshit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's true. There's a lot less pink than Bitch and Van Art. (laughs) (laughs) Gavin, have you prepared someone for whom we might describe? I did. To whom? I did. I did. What is? All right. Bam. What am what am I going to be? Okay. There he is. I got to prepare my prepare my body. Um I am so not used to There we go. <laughs> That's um it's the beast from Beauty and the Beast. It is. It's Ron... <laughs> It's Ron Perlman. I think I may have seen whatever this is. He looks like he's in a like a World War II movie. Yes. He's wearing one of the, he's wearing one of those Russian um, fuzz caps. Yeah. He's kind of looking at us like he wants to steal our potatoes. Yeah. What
0: is this from? This is I from think Enemy at the Gates, where he plays. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember. I it's been so long since I've seen Enemy at the Gates. <laughs>
0: Um, it's an. Okay, I don't know how to feel about Enemy at th- the Gates, honestly. Like it's a good movie, it and is then a, some crap happens, it and is, it's like, is this a good movie? And then it's a good movie again.
1: It is an. <laughs> it is an oddly, um, plot-heavy sniper drama. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's plot-heavy, where, but um, it's a sniper drama. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where two Russian snipers fall in love. Yeah. Um, that's. And bat and battle against the evil German sniper portrayed by Ed Harris. Yeah, see that who sounds
0: does a fantastic yeah, job. Yeah, that sounds like a batshit movie. It sounds like you're making that up, and that nobody has made. Yeah, that. but like they certainly did. And while you watch it, you're enjoying it. So there you go.
1: <laughs> I should watch it again. I do not remember who Ron Perlman is playing in this. Uh, some Russian guy, yeah, obviously, but he, other than that I could not tell you a fucking thing He
0: plays uh, some kind of Cossack tr- uh, Traitor to Stalin And his punishment is to go out And get killed as a sniper And um,
1: I will say <laughs> I think it was Enemy at the Gates That had a really, really good scene That I'll never uh, forget that I think it opens with yes um, a, histor- a historical fact About the Russian army, which is they had um, way more dudes than guns, yeah. and yeah. they would they would deploy them. They would deploy five hundred, you know, fifty thousand guys with twenty five thousand guns, yeah. and they would tell you. Two men's go, one has the gun, one follows him. When the first man falls down, he picks up the gun. And that is, uh, not at all an exaggeration and, um, continues to be, uh, (laughs) relevant to dynamics involving Russians, Russia's military today. Yeah. Um, they, they continue (laughs) to have more people than sense or equipment. Yeah. Um, Russia's main thing is always somehow producing tons of disposable human beings, which is a, you know, is a vibe. Um, (laughs) It
0: is a vibe, yeah. (laughs) uh,
1: It's a strategy.
0: Uh, Yeah. It's it's effective. It can be effective. But also, war has changed. Unlike what Ron Perlman says frequently, war never changes. War has changed a lot ever since Russia (laughs) won the last time with that tactic
1: <laughs> yeah when when russia has you know um two million dollar fighters that can be shot out of the air by a you know israeli or american surface-to-air um bottle rocket, essentially bazooka bazooka <laughs> yeah. uh, that costs five thousand yeah. dollars the war definitely has changed yeah um but in certain essential ways it also has not yeah where, I get, um, I get the, what they're saying the, with
0: Fallout, but, <laughs> yeah, but
1: anyway, Ron Perlman, um, yeah.
0: who has, Ron Perlman been, sure
1: can look a lot of different ways.
0: Ron Perlman can look a lot of different ways. And I, which is weird because he looks like he's got a fucking like
1: anvil covered in trash bags for a head. Yeah. Like, that's a <laughs> so good explanation of a, his
0: head. yes Yeah. <laughs> He gets, he gets better looking as he gets older, and that's hard to do with a giant, um, nice, ugly man.
1: Yeah, it seems like a good guy, so I'm glad he's got so much yeah. work for lo- looking like a circus freak. <laughs> um, I, Since we're on uh, the random subject of German, I'm sorry, of Russian military films, yeah. I randomly clicked on something where I had an afternoon to myself and I knew I would never get to watch this otherwise, where I watched this incredible movie from 2018 called T-34. Yep. That is, um. In, have you seen it? Yeah. It's inspired by, true events of the Russian army in World War II and these guys that get, um, this crew that gets put into a camp by the Russians and then they break out and steal one of their tanks. Yeah, And it is, I've seen a few tank movies and this movie is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, this was- It is hilarious. It is surprising. Yeah. It's charming and it's incredibly well-directed. Yeah. Everybody, if you have any interest in World War II slash tanks, T thirty four. It is so fucking funny and charming. I you will. N- I promise you will never root for the Russians harder at anything. It is absolutely hysterical. Yeah,
0: this movie was the direct response to Brad Pitt's movie Fury.
1: Oh yeah, it's, yeah. it very much has some of those vibes. Yeah, you know. yeah. The Russians, Fury. the
0: Russians were like, "Well, we'll make one too." Blink. <laughs> yeah,
1: F- Fury. It, um, you know, there's. I would say there's about two-thirds overlap in terms of, like, tone and...
0: and, There's a lot of shit and fury they didn't need. Like, you don't need to put in love interests in in movies anymore. That's no longer a requirement.
1: (laughs) I really wish that memo would go out to everybody, because it bothers me so much. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader, until next time when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bollywugs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff.
0: And if you'd be so kind as to tell a friend or support us by throwing Oops All Monsters a five-star review on iTunes, that really does help, or whatever platform you listen to us. On, I have a YouTube channel that's Gavin Longshanks at YouTube. I was going to do a bunch of Saints Row videos, but the game was broken on launch, but I'm gonna do a bunch of videos anyway.
1: Share an episode on your favorite social media and hit us up on Instagram for the images that go along with each episode.
0: Comment on the Instagram with the monsters that you want to see. Email us suggestions for monsters that we should cover. Also email us role-playing game stories. I'm sure that you have one. Everybody's got a really funny role-playing game story. Send us yours at oopsallmonsters at gmail.com. Oopsallmonsters at gmail.com.
1: And if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, we'd really appreciate it. A one-shot contribution can get to us at paypal.me slash or if you're feeling really froggy, sign up at patreon.com slash Lastly, I have to thank my wonderful, my wonderful friend Katie for our incredible theme song. Her work as part of the duo The Darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at The Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And I've been Gavin, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and we have been loved <laughs> by the sun on a trapper keeper with the unicorns and the elves.
0: Legendary.
1: Love <laughs>
0: <laughs> cut. I'm not. Oops. All weird the little elf guys.
1: Enchantment play. And with the workings of the seasons,
2: legends can be now and forever, teaching us to love for goodness sake, legends can be now and forever,
0: loved by...